I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. Kathy Voitko made her Broadway debut in the original cast of the 2002 revival of Oklahoma, directed by Trevor Nunn, and was in the Tony Award-winning Nine, starring Antonio Banderas and Chita Rivera. She originated the role of Ariadne in Stephen Sondheim's The Frogs, opposite Nathan Lane at Lincoln Center, and her other Broadway credits include The Pirate Queen, the Pulitzer Prize-winning Next to Normal, the 2014 Tony Award winner for Best Musical, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, and the original Broadway cast of Tuck Everlasting. Kathy toured the United States as Christine in The Phantom of the Opera and as Eva Perón in the 25th anniversary tour of Evita, working with legendary director-producer Hal Prince on both projects. She is often a soloist for symphonies and concerts around the world, and she has performed at Carnegie Hall, the Royal Albert Hall in London, as well as in Mexico and Canada. Kathy has also played leading roles at various regional theaters across the country, including Clara in Passion, Fantine in Les Miserables, Fiona in Brigadoon, Polly in Crazy for You, and Francesca in The Bridges of Madison County. She is a two-time recipient of Chicago's Joseph Jefferson Award for Best Actress in a Musical. She received a BFA in Music and Theater from Shenandoah Conservatory. Hi, Kathy. Hi! How are you? 
I'm so good. I'm so happy to be talking with you. And we're very happy to have you on American Theatre Artists Online. Thanks for joining our podcast. Thank you for the invite. Well, I was really excited to talk to you because I have been sort of following your career from afar for a long time. And I know that you've done some really awesome, fun stuff that I think uh, my listeners will really want to hear about. Oh, thank you. I've been a luckily employed working actor. That's what I care about. <laughs> uh, of course. And it's been wonderful to see your association with some really amazing productions and all the things that you've done, not just on Broadway, the many shows that you've worked on there, but also all the wonderful stuff you've done in national tours, um, in regional theaters, especially in Chicago, and a lot of just other concert work and symphonies. I mean, you have stayed busy, haven't you? employed working actor and I think that we have always discussed that uh, some of my favorite things I've done have been across the country and great our fabulous regional theaters that we have in the states and and many many fabulous houses and I so everyone says you know Broadway's back but I'm also very very aware and concerned for all of our regional houses that the pandemic was tricky on as well so I'm happy to discuss any of that <laughs> of course yeah no you're right you know uh, America is more than just um Broadway, although, you know, Broadway is our beating heart that we're always thinking about. And it is nice to see Broadway coming back, right? But um, you're right, all those regional homes, um, those amazing regional theaters we have across the country. And you have been um, part of two pretty amazing tours, at least among many others, I'm sure, um, which is the, the you've traveled the United States playing Christine in The Phantom of the Opera. And as well, in another tour, you played Eva Peron in the 25th anniversary tour of Evita. That's a long association with Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> yes, we often joke around that Andrew Lloyd Webber bought our house and <laughs> renovated our bathroom and has uh, <laughs> helped fund our lives in, in many different ways. That's thank fantastic. You. Thank you, Lloyd Webber. Thank yes, you. Thank you, Sir Andrew. Well, yes, and I'm really happy to hear that. And also, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking of you playing both those roles, and they're such different roles. They couldn't be more different vocally and. <laughs> <laughs> no, and acting wise. So that alone shows shows your range. So tell me a bit about and if I'm not mistaken, you were able to work uh, somewhat a little bit at least with Hal Prince on both of those um, wonderful roles. So can you tell us what can you tell us about that time? Um, let's start with Phantom. Which well, which which one came first, Phantom or Evita? Phantom the Opera did, yes. Yeah. Um, I was working in the beautiful city of Chicago. I was doing a production of Crazy for You, so I was belting and tap dancing, <laughs> and I got a call to be seen for Christine. They were looking for a Christine cover for the tour. And my agent said, do you think you can change it up? And I said, I think so. And so I got seen in Chicago, and then I had a call back in Chicago, and then they flew me from Chicago to New York to the Majestic on my day off for my final callback. <laughs> so I did two shows of Crazy for You on a Sunday, flew on Monday, auditioned, and I think I flew back on Tuesday, if I have that correct. can't remember exactly, but it was a, a crazy whirlwind, and somehow or another I was able to sort of swirl it up and sing like a soprano that day. And um, 
but so surprised when they offered it to me because as you know hopping on a plane singing your heart out and then hopping back on a plane and then tap dancing the next day like, which very, very funny. But, um, yes I got to be Christine in Phantom of the Opera and I was the cover for about a year and then I took over the the Christine for oh a year and a half close to two I think mm. and um yeah, so how Prince back then, back then, back in the old days, um, how sort of final say on anybody who was given a principal contract. So I had to get the okay from Hal, and um, that was an honor and a privilege because he was remarkable. Um, and so that's when I first met him. And it must have been, it's not funny, I, I don't know now, was it for, no, I'm lying, it was, after I left the tour, I did a workshop of Bounce, which became mm-hmm. Wise Guys, mm-hmm. the Meisner Brothers. Um, I mm-hmm. did one of the, oh gosh, it was early workshops. I was doing Oklahoma on Broadway, and I got called in for Bounce, and I sang, I don't know, eight measures, and Hal said, I know, Kathy, this is who I want to do this part. Hey. And it was the shortest audition of my life, oh. and I said, I'm going to tell this story at some point. Mm. And he said, honey, you should. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, I mean, eight bars. And, he, you know, I guess what he knows, he knows, right? And- he he knows. And he just said to the creative team, you know, I know her. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I already have okayed her. And, yeah. and it, was, it was the most flattering audition ever because I... That was the shortest and most flattering audition I ever had. <laughs> yeah, I saw um, I saw the bounce. Um, if I'm not mistaken, bounce was the last show that Hal Prince and Stephen Sondheim worked on together, right? As far I as I know, so. yeah, at least as far. And I saw the final performance of Bounce at the Kennedy Center. Uh, before it was the final performance of that particular production i think i never got to broadway but that was i remember seeing that show and thinking but i mean what an amazing thing that you got to have an association with hal prince and not just one of his big shows but in two because you know you also then so you're sitting there singing soprano right in phantom of the opera playing christine has those huge high high soprano notes that everyone thinks about <laughs> crazy notes and then you turn around and you do Ava Peron uh several years later who you know no one really thinks of as a soprano so how did you well, it was nobody was more surprised than I was uh, I was doing the frogs at Lincoln Center at mm-hmm. this time speaking of Sondheim mm-hmm. and um got called in for Evita and I remember going to my coach um and I said I don't know if I can sing this or not Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he laughed and said, well, let's sing through it. What the heck? And so uh, he said, I think you can. And so I said, okay, well, I guess I'll go to this audition because I would never put myself in front of somebody if I didn't think I could do it. Sure. Um, so I had a little moment of eek beforehand and uh, I went to my audition and I got a call back and then I got offered the job. And then um, I turned down the job. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Wait a minute. Why'd you turn it down? You thought it was it was going to be too too low in your range, or or? No, I turned down the job because it was um, it was before we had the CETA contract, so this wasn't going to be a full production contract, oh, and okay. it was an experimental contract at the time, and it was. Um, they offered me a dollar fifty to do eight shows a week, and I said, "I don't even know if I can do eight shows a week. That's a hard thing." Because yeah. normally there's an alternate. Yeah. Um, and they, I said, "Thank you, no." 
And then they came back and offered me $2 for to do all eight shows a week. And I said, thank you. No, and it back and forth it went. Oh, and um, ultimately, uh, Hal Prince called me at home. <laughs> and said, honey, honey, I hear you're being difficult. What, what's happening? And I said, Hal, this is exactly what's happening. And I told him how, quote, unquote, difficult I was being. And he said, oh, I didn't know that. Mm. So apparently, Hal called them. <laughs> mm. That works. Called the producer and said, uh, no, that's not how this is going to work. And essentially... Hal sealed the deal for me, not me. I don't know. Oh, so he was looking out for you even then, too. I mean, that's good yeah. to hear. I mean, I just, knew, I just knew that I couldn't say, absolutely, I'll do eight a week. It's a really hard thing. And I, yeah. I lived very, very, very modestly. I, I didn't go out very often after the show. I didn't really drink. I did a lot of water and a lot of sleeping and a lot of, you know, light exercise. I just I lived like a nun. Mm-hmm. while on tour I knew that that was how it was going to have to be because mm-hmm. it was tricky um, but I ended up having a ball and um, Hal Prince was the I mean he was there at rehearsal Larry Fuller directed but Hal was there with Larry every day so it was sort of a, a co-production um, mm-hmm. I would say because mm-hmm. Larry was the original choreographer as well and he had staged so many and Larry's fantastic and between the two of them it was it was also like a theater history class because mm. they had all their original notes oh, wow. and it was just delicious to jump into that with those two. They were remarkable. Well, it's really fu- interesting that you talk about um, the role of Eva Peron and how difficult it is to sing. And you're not the first one to say that, right? It's been in all the, um, everywhere you read anything about the role, it is really a, a really gymnastic, I could say at least vocal role for any singer. And to, to be doing it eight shows a week, like you said, most people don't. Um, and it's crazy. And I, I interviewed Flo Lacey not that long ago, and she was also talking about the, the craziness of that role and how much of um, you have to sort of, you know, live, like you said, like a nun in order to, it's like you can't talk when you're not on stage because <laughs> you're in like... It's funny you bring up Flo because Flo is the one who said, after I got the contract, Flo's, and Flo and her husband Tim said, we love that show. We would be thrilled to teach you all the tricks. So I actually went and worked with them. Oh, and they're the ones who actually got me through it. Yes, oh. because they said, you, can, you know, you can gain a little momentum here and you can lay back here and you can mix this and you got to build this. And like they were, they gave me sort of a, oh, a shorthand, a Reader's Digest, a, a, a cheat sheet. <laughs> That's fantastic. What a wonderful thing to be able to have and how nice of them to do that. My pals to this day, I love them dearly. Yeah, they are great. And, and, and Flo was talking about how crazy the role is and also how, you know, um, she, I don't know, did you ever, so you did the you did uh, the 25th anniversary tour, right, of Evita. Um, were, so did you... You, you didn't get to do any of the international stuff like Flo had done where she talked about how she's had to stay away from Buenos Aires, Argentina, because um, basically there were death threats to, to the life of whoever was playing Eva no, no, I, I mean, the farthest afield we were in Toronto. That was the only no uh, out of the U.S. that we were. Yeah. No problems. No problems with Canada. But, but I Toronto mean, was yeah. <laughs> yes. But that's that's far. That's pretty far. Um, but so, I mean, it's amazing that we have these two roles, Christine and and Eva Peron, and they're so different. So going back to Christine for just a second, um, you you got to play the role on Broadway for a while, right? Uh, uh, no, no, I never did Phantom on Broadway at all, actually. You, I only, what? 
That's crazy. So you you did the tour. You never got to did you never got to actually play Phantom on Broadway. No, well, I left the tour of mm-hmm. Phantom, and actually, I left at nine eleven. That was when I left the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, just just a weird coincidence. And then six weeks later, I got cast in Oklahoma, the revival, the um, revival of Oklahoma on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And then the gods of employment were kind. So I, by the time I got to New York, um, I was doing other shows. Yeah, so, you moved on to other husband, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, my husband was in the Broadway company. So yes. I have a, a lot of nice pals there, but I, I, I never actually auditioned. I never, um, yeah, I wasn't in that company. It's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Well, so then you had already moved on at that point to the 2002, I believe it was, revival of Oklahoma, which was directed by... Trevor Nunn, was it not? Yes. Wow. It was. So that's another fun connection and that you get to, to work with Trevor Nunn in that. How was how was it being in that uh, revival of Oklahoma? Oh, that that was really a neat experience. We had um, Susan Stroman and Warren Carlyle was his her uh, associate, her choreographic assistant associate for that production. And for I can't remember what it was that Trevor was doing, but he was finishing up something else like there was a scheduling conflict or something mm-hmm. and so we had Susan Stroman for the first week of rehearsal was almost entirely Stro and Warren not too so shabby it was it, oh gosh it was so great and yeah. so we got a, a lot of the dancing mm-hmm. up on its feet and then we kind of backtracked into table work with Trevor mm-hmm. Nunn and so I, I just felt like that whole experience was a dreamy dreamy first Broadway experience because listening to Trevor who does more homework than anybody I mean I learned more about <laughs> the Oklahoma Territory from Trevor than I ever did in school and so it was fascinating just to sit around and listen to him talk about all the research he had done mm-hmm. and give us a history lesson on who we were and how we were and why we were and it was mm-hmm. it was really an education and I for some reason in my naive first Broadway experience self, I was like, is this how every Broadway show is? And it isn't how every Broadway show is. That was a very singular, cool experience. Mm. I feel cer- certainly very lucky to have that as my first go around. Wow. And so, yeah, that was your Broadway debut, right? And so then you got to really work with some great people, Trevor Nunn and, and Susan Stroman, and, and you, as you mentioned, Warren yeah. Carlisle. That's the music director, just great folks. Oh. Yeah. Wow. What a wonderful first experience. And so then after that, where, where did you go after that, after the Oklahoma revival? Because you've done so many different things. It's almost hard to keep track of, of uh, like you said, you've been working very hard and you've been getting a, a lot of opportunities and a lot of varying and very different kinds of opportunities, both on Broadway and yeah, on. I'm trying to keep the ball rolling. That's I, right. I, I'm, a, I'm a weird person in that way. I was never like... I never said I have to be a star. I never said I have to, have to. I just wanted to work in music theater. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love that form of storytelling. And so I just, there were many times that my agents might have said to me, why do you keep taking understudy tracks? And why do you, why do you, why are you taking this uh, reading for a dollar fifty? And I just love it. I love music theater. Well, <laughs> anyway, the very yeah. next thing I did was uh, Nine, the revival of Nine on Broadway. Yes. Um, that was, I, I actually left Oklahoma to do Nine. So um, that was directed by the lovely and talented David Laveau and Jonathan Butterall choreographed. Mm. 
Mm. And uh, starred Antonio Banderas and Cheetah Rivera and Mary Wait. Stewart Masters. Wait, who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> who was? Some little known guy named Antonio known Banderas. Yeah, I, hope, I hope his career went okay. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, really, Antonio Banderas, Cheetah Rivera, Mary Stewart Masterson, and there you are and with them. Uh, it goes on and on. It's an amazing cast. That is the one production so far that got away for me that I wanted to see on Broadway and didn't get to. I mean, there's many, but that's the one that I to this day. I know. Oh, I, to this day, to this day, I, I kick myself every time that I wasn't able to get to see that because what a cast and what an amazing show. Um, and so you, I mean, this isn't, you know, you go from the revival of Oklahoma and then you get to do nine on Broadway. And I mean, to get to work with Antonio Banderas and Cheetah Rivera, and if I'm not mistaken, you were in that show, but also you were covering, were you covering other parts as well or understudying as they say? Is that how it was? Uh, I was. Originally I was cast as a character called um, Sophia. And then I, I covered the lady of the spa Mm -hmm. and then, then we had a cast change and Rebecca Luker came in for Laura Benanti and Mm. then I covered Rebecca uh, Mm. as Claudia. Mm. Um, So yeah, it was really fun. So I got to work on a couple of different tracks in that show and that Mm. was, that was great too. Now let's talk a bit about, you mentioned already um, having to, you know, that you'll, you know, that you love musical theater, which is obvious by it's your life's work. Uh, and you um, love it so much that you'll cover, you'll be understudy, you'll do whatever it takes um, to get an opportunity to be in the room and to work work with those people. And obviously you've had roles where you've been in the show, um, you know, and you've originated things and you've done other, other things elsewhere. But um, you don't, Tell us a bit about the skill that's required to be able to cover or understudy or be a standby or whatever, um, and explain a bit of the difference because some people listening may not know. I think everyone th- knows the term understudy. That's all they know, but they don't understand the difference uh, between a standby and an understudy. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. They're, they're in every show, you have to have X amount of coverage because people get sick, somebody has a family emergency, there's all those reasons. So you have an understudy. And sometimes you have an understudy who is in the production that might be playing an ensemble part or might be playing a smaller part, and they learn whatever principal part needs coverage as well. And you have understudy rehearsal every week, and a lot of times you're wildly prepared, and sometimes you're not prepared at all yet, and that's just how the (laughs) the world goes. Um, There's also, uh, in, in bigger productions, have a swing. And that's somebody who knows several parts. They might know mm-hmm. for ensemble parts and for principal parts. Mm-hmm. And you get paid, you know, accordingly for each part that you learn. Mm-hmm. And you are ready to go on for any number of those. Usually, I think it's eight. Sometimes it's ten, depending on the contract. Any of those eight to ten parts. You are an offstage cover, and your sole job is to jump in at a moment's notice for whoever needs coverage. Wow. And, and then- at this point, that's a very hard job. That's that's one of the hardest jobs in the building for sure. I can imagine. Um, and at this point, you have experience. I know doing a lot of those, if not all those different things, at some point. I have, and I've also been a standby. And the standby is usually hired to cover. I think it's one to three parts. And again, every contract's a little different, mm-hmm. but it's only principles. Only main characters. Right. And your entire job is to be in the building 
God forbid it, anything is needed and you have to jump in for that principle. Mm. And they're all really hard because, you know, who the people who are there eight times a week get into their rhythm and you have to try very hard to get into the show and not screw up anybody's rhythm, mm. but also be believable in whatever part that you're jumping in for. So it's, it's fun, it's challenging, and it's never a dull moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, then that leads me to, you know, what my next question is going to be. Can you tell us a story of, of, of a time? I'm sure there are several, but give us the fun, the funnest one or the most scary one of a time where you had to go on with very little notice in, in some role sometime. Oh, I think, I think the <laughs> scariest one probably <laughs> was, uh, opening week of the Pirate Queen um, in New York, I was the standby for Stephanie Dierblock, who was the Pirate Queen. Mm -hmm. And she had, I believe it was, I hope I'm not messing up this story. It's been a while now, kids, mold. Um, Mm -hmm. She had, I think, a bacterial infection or something like it. It was Mm -hmm. one of those random things that just happened Mm -hmm. and uh, lost her voice. And it was, we had just gotten through all our previews. Most of the press had come on a Sunday because I think that we were opening on a Wednesday, officially, official opening night. And what a lot of people might not know is that most press comes before opening. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, and it was like a Tuesday, I think. And I was driving into the city and it was like 530-ish. And I was in the Lincoln Tunnel and the stage manager says, Kathy, Stephanie can't do the show. Uh-huh. What do you need to be safe? Hmm. And I said, oh, oh, I need to run every sword fight. And um, right. uh, like there were so many things, but having been through a preview process, I hadn't had any real rehearsal of my own that whole process because we were so busy making changes and changing lyrics and changing choreography. And there were all these new changes, which I was doing in my own time, in the wings, in the back of the theater, it, but I had never actually done any of it on stage with my pals on stage. So that was very scary. And my only saving grace is there were only maybe two reviewers that night, and one of whom was from the Chicago Tribune who knew me, oh, who had seen Chicago a lot. So mm-hmm. he knew that I had just jumped on, and that was very kind. But, um, that was probably the scariest because I hadn't really been rehearsed with the, all of the new stuff yet. Wow. So I just had to wing it. And I, <laughs> oh my gosh. And yet, I guess the only other thing that was kind of scary is I was um, a swing in Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. And I was rehearsing the doors. I was learning the doors for Phoebe all day at rehearsal. And that night they needed me to be Sibella. <laughs> And that's two sets of doorography that I was had in my brain at once, and that was a, so that's <laughs> a the, scary, for, for scary people, night. For people, I mean, a lot of music theater um, aficionados know what you're talking about. But for those not, it's the, the I Decided to Marry You song. Is that what it's called? Uh, that's with, exactly right. Yeah, with the doors. And there's this whole this choreography with two doors and, 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 and opening. Very tight door slamming choreography, oh, like, which is... Very, very easy to screw up. Oh, totally Marx Brothers stuff. Yeah, I mean, you got to get it exactly right or, yeah. And so, wow. So that's pretty amazing. And the thing is that a lot of people listening probably don't know that the people that aren't, that don't do theater don't know that when you're in an understudy situation like that or a standby situation, you've got to go on. It's never the material you're, 
usually never the material we worry about. Isn't that funny? It's not the singing or the dancing or the acting. It's the like, do I have this door the right way? Am I doing this prop right? This sword fight? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> we were scared. Am of- I going to maim or injure one of my fellow actors? <laughs> right. That kind of stuff. Yes, it's really down to basics. And it's funny that we don't often worry about the actual material. And I think a lot of people think like, oh, how are you going to know all the lines in the song? It's like, no, no, that stuff we're okay with. It's everything else. <laughs> yes, the memorizing button seems to go pretty well, but yeah. it's everything else. It's what pair of shoes do I have to change into at this point? And wait, wait, do I have to go off stage left and then come up the trap on stage right? And all that kind of stuff, yes. Well, that stuff's dangerous, too, for not just everyone else in the show, but also for you. Um, and if you don't know you're doing the right thing, you can really get injured in some of those sets. Oh, and- automated sets, the automation, for mm-hmm. sure, yeah. You have to know exactly where to be, not just what to say. Wow, so that's... You know, that's got to create, I mean, I think when you've gone through situations like that, it makes you stronger. It makes you a even better uh, uh, performer and you're ready for anything once you've been a standby, once you've been, uh, um, uh, you know, there's legendary stories. It was like Karen Mason in Sunset Boulevard or something on shopping at Macy's and her, her, her like beeper way back in the day went off and she had to run <laughs> back to the theater after, you know, so you never know, right? You can never know what's, a theater is very unpredictable. So you mentioned um, a Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which is a show that you you were also a part of, the 2014 Tony Award winner for Best Musical. Wonderful, wonderful show. And am I right that you were, um, I'm not sure if you were understudy or standby for both of the female roles? Um, I was the swing, but yes, I covered all six. There are only six women on stage in Gentleman's Guide, and I covered all six. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I went on for everybody except for the older lady at the beginning, Miss Shangle, because she's she's supposed to be in her 60s. And so they had said to me, we doubt you're going on for this, but you have to know it just in case someone breaks a leg. And sure enough, I never went on for that one, but I did the other five pretty regularly. So. <laughs> wow. And that enough, just the difference between Phoebe and Sabella, that alone is also such a range of... Oh, oh that, no, that was such a pleasure. I, I could have done that show for the next 10 years of my life and been... <laughs> Very happy. I wouldn't have taken another job. I loved, loved that show with every ounce of my being. Right. That was a delicious, lovely couple of years. Well, you get to do so much fun acting as well um, in those roles and not just not just the singing, but the acting too, which I know you really enjoy doing both whenever possible. <laughs> well, Robert um, and Stephen, the, the writer and the composer, they just wrote such fabulous material and Darko and Peggy the director and the choreographer it just everything just came together with that show and Linda Cho the costumer I mean everything about that show was such a pleasure visually audially um that sense of humor I loved it oh I can't say enough good if you have never listened to it listen to the CD you won't be disappointed what a wonderful wonderful um show and score I agree um, so we've been, I've been dancing around the topic a bit and now I'm just going to dive right in on it because it's super important. And I think, I mean, I don't ask this of everyone that I interview, but I'm going to ask, intrigued. Intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> what could it be? What could it be? But I am going to ask you because I, I've known you for a while, um, you know, on and off and I've, and I've seen you perform at a very, um, you know, at the very beginning of your career and now, um, later in your career, let's talk a bit about your voice, your instrument. It's always so amazing to me 
how much of a legit soprano sound you have, and yet you can also belt it to the rafters. Uh, okay, so we need to talk. Have you always had this huge range? How uh, how long have you been studying voice? I mean, Christine and Ava Perone. Come on. Uh, to ex- <laughs> how how have you how have you worked with your instrument? to be able to get to a point where you have such flexibility with that? I'm always studying voice. I think that there's a funny old clip of Pavarotti that somebody said, you know, when when do you stop practicing? And he said, you know, uh, just now. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> Five minutes no ago. Yeah. Um, but I, I was very, very legit in college and all I wanted to do was belt like some of my friends in college. Um, I, I didn't know how, and I started to just sort of gradually learn. And for instance, um, a good friend, Dane just would take me into the practice room every now and again and just joke around and say, now just throw your head back and holler, but holler on this pitch. And he, you know, we would just joke around and play with it. And then gradually over the years, I sort of figured out what works for me. And I think that the danger is, Everybody wants to sound like somebody else as opposed to just finding out what works for you. Mm. And I think that I don't... So there are so many choices that I would make that are different now because it takes a while to go, wait a minute, no, I want to sound like me. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. No, yeah, it's bad for your voice to try to imitate oh, I someone love else. The, I love the way that person sounds. I, I'm going to try that for a while, and it's, mm. it's fun to try that for a while, but then it's very liberating to go, wait a minute, this is how I sound. So uh, as far as belting goes... Um, like, for instance, I am not a power throat belter very high. That's not what I do, but I'm a really power forward um, mix mix belter. Um, mm-hmm. So I have great admiration for all types of voices, and I, I love to hear the differences. So I, I don't know that there's anything extraordinary about what I do, but I'm, I feel like I'm still figuring it out for me. And I love listening to other people. What I can't do is um, crazy wild riffs off the cuff. That's not my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I have to work on those things. Somebody has to map it out for me, and then I got to work on it. And so, um, but legit soprano was what I started doing. So that's always like coming home anytime I get to sing legit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have found out, because I've done a lot of concert work, is it's tricky. I have to plan a program really carefully because. Sometimes when you flip back and forth too many times in one concert, your voice is exhausted and you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and your voice says, mercy, mercy, have mercy. And mm-hmm. then some of the things that are easy on any other day, all of a sudden are very hard. So it's a balance and mm-hmm. um, you're never done. Right. So I'm still working it out. But thank you for the kind words. <laughs> still working it out. <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting you say about the mix, uh, how you do like a mix belt. I, I, you know, that's coming more and more. Uh, it's becoming more of a thing that uh, performers are doing more now, and I think um, it's good because the the pure one hundred percent belt is not something that is just natural. I think to everyone, it, I mean, everyone's different, as you said, but it's really rough on the voice. I think um, for most people, but to be able to just mix composers, uh, a lot of the composition right now is getting higher and higher, expecting that sound, mm-hmm. and um, like when you sing some of the older shows like you mentioned funny girl like that's a lower belt Mm -hmm. than a lot of the contemporary shows so you can do that a little bit more full chesty sound Mm -hmm. um so it's just that the style has changed and we're all kind of changing along with it i think Mm -hmm. and i think with the advent of microphones and and personal mics and people having mics it's mic you know, mic'd within an inch of their life, 
so to speak, um, then the writers start to get a little more creative with, you know, you're belting high E's or whatever. And I'm like, I'm always thinking to myself, <laughs> how the heck, you know, but I guess, um, you know, at least it's not the days of having to, you know, Ethel Merman it out into the, into the, into the room with very little um, amplification, but still you can really hurt and damage your voice with some of these things. So I think it's great to hear that you're doing a healthy, you're studying, it's a healthy mix. I mean, you have to have, that's how you've maintained your longevity for so long. Oh, knock on wood and spin it over your shoulder. But yeah, that's what I'm trying. <laughs> yes, right. And that's because you, you're, you're healthy. And I think cla- those those singers that I know who are, who are playing sometimes some of these belty roles on Broadway um, have had the classical training. And when they've had the classical training, it really actually has helped them a lot. Uh, for some of them, it's almost like having ballet training for dance. If you have that, it really can can sometimes help you uh, with your instrument. So that's wonderful. I mean, it's good. Yeah, to I always go back to the very legit warm ups when I'm feeling exhausted or when mm-hmm. I'm feeling like I just need to get back to center. Mm-hmm. I always go back to all the legit training that uh, has served me over the years. That's wonderful. Well. Um, I just am always, um, it was something that from even from early on hearing you when you were just starting in, in college, um, going to myself in my mind, like, how, how does she do this? So there is obviously a natural ability there, but then you're taking care of that and studying and, and being careful with it, I think is, is made a huge uh, difference. So thank you for us. I think we thank you for, for as an audience. So, okay. So you've been on Broadway now several times. You've worked in several shows and in, in, in theaters across the country. Um, and you've worked with some of the most amazing, you know, theater folks. We've talked a bit about some of them already. So rapid fire time, Kathy. I'm going <laughs> to ask you for one, one word association for each of these amazing folks you've worked with. So, um, or one or two words. Oh, the pressure. The pressure. Okay. Well, sometimes when you tell people one word, they're like, one word? I have to say at least two or three. Okay. You know, less than five words uh, for, for some of these folks. I'll be, I'll be really nice, really nice with you. Not too mean. Okay. I'm just going to throw them out there and you're just going to say it back to us. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Nathan Lane. Hilarious. Trevor Nunn. Wicked smart. <laughs> Cheetah Rivera. The best. <laughs> Hal Prince. An angel. Patrick Wilson. Crazy talented. We're almost done, I promise. Susan Stroman. Smartest gal in the room. There you go. Antonio Banderas. Dreamy. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Great job. That was fantastic. <laughs> oh. I got so nervous. Oh my gosh. You did such a good job. They were so your answers were so varied and, and, and interesting and said a lot in just a, a few few words. So thanks for that. Um, any fun stories to share about any of those folks that you would want us to know before we, you know, before we ended today? Um, Cheetah Rivera gave me my honeymoon. <laughs> You're kidding. What do you mean by that? I really know it's the it's the craziest thing. My husband and I uh, were planning a long distance wedding. He was doing what was he doing? He was doing Phantom on Broadway. I was doing Nine on Broadway. We had different days of the week off, and we had just bought a house. We had we had way too many life things going on at once, mm. and um, we were uh, pretty cash poor because we had just put 20% down on our home, and we had been joking because we were also getting married, and we had been joking. We are like, oh, Newark is lovely in the fall. That'll be a lovely honeymoon. <laughs> and... Um, Peter heard me goofing around and she said, 
well, then you have to go to my villa in Puerto Rico. And I thought she was kidding. <laughs> she was not kidding. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You got to go to Cheetah Rivera's villa in Puerto Rico for your honeymoon? I, I, the words sound false even coming out of my own mouth. But, yes, that is oh. 100% true. You it's know, a crazy story. <laughs> that's such a wonderful story. And it's so in line with everything I've experienced and others about Cheetah Rivera. She's really a fantastic um, human being as well as entertainer, isn't she? She's really. I want to be her when I grow up. She's <laughs> just the best. I I I can't say enough good. Yeah, I, I got to meet her after seeing Kiss of the Spider Woman years ago, and she I, it was a horrible snowy day, snowy night, and there was nobody there by the time she came out because it just took forever, and it was like a Thursday. and um, So um, she stayed and talked with me in the snow for like 10 minutes, and then at the end asked me what I did, and I told her at the time I was studying theater, and she said, well, I'll be looking for you out here, which was such a lovely thing for her to say. And then she kissed me on the cheek, and I was never the same, and then she just walked away. Put a scarf over her neck and walk. Like yeah, she is a team player, ensemble yeah. member yeah. to Fantastic. the core. She is rooting for you, yeah. and she wants everyone to have a great experience and hard work. And she's just the best role model you could ever have in our industry. Oh yay! I'm so glad you had a great experience with her. Now, so you mentioned your husband. Let's we. I think we have to just. I hope he doesn't mind. Uh, tell us a bit about who your husband is, because he's in the biz too. And what is what is um, his name? Um, his name is John Kudia, and um, tomorrow we'll have been married for eighteen years. <gasps> Congratulations! <laughs> that that is a, a feat. Eighteen years is yeah. like nine hundred fifty-two. Right. Uh, so wow. congratulations! <laughs> Clearly, the villa in Puerto Rico made a big difference. Well, like any long-term marriage, I mean, we've had our hard moments and our wonderful moments and everything in between, but um, it's it's been definitely more laughter than tears, so we'll call that a victory. But wow. <laughs> and that's also, you know, yeah, have, having a theater um, couple like that, both of you working extensively in music and in theater, um, it's got to be good sometimes and also kind of crazy sometimes with schedules and everything. Well, nobody gets into the arts for the job security, so it's yep. definitely been a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've, we've been fortunate, and um, we've certainly had our roller coaster of a life, and uh, I wouldn't change it, <laughs> that's oh, for sure. It's wonderful. Um, but he, I, we met during Phantom of the Opera in the most cliche way ever, as I was the understudy Christine, and he was the understudy Raoul. Mm. And then um, we took over the parts and played opposite each other. Mm. Um, and then a year and a half after that, we got married. So how about that? Well, congr- congratulations. And he has the weird distinction of being the only person so far who's performed both Phantom and Jean Valjean on Broadway. Wow. Other people have played the roles other places, but he's the only one who has performed them both on Broadway, which we thought, well, that surely can't, that can't be true. But um, the is. production team is who said no i think that is true <laughs> so wow. he looked up and it was so weird uh but yes he's an extraordinary singer and performer and that's my husband oh that's awesome and i i have to obviously interview him at some point too because sounds like he's got a pretty amazing career too <laughs> from everything he's you got say. Though, yeah. that's for sure <laughs> awesome well okay so let's we talked a bit about um your work on broadway and all your um your opportunities and your uh wonderful um chance to work with some amazing folks and to learn so much uh, and to grow as a performer. Let's talk a bit about your regional 
theater experience, because particularly I wanted to talk about Chicago. You've had the opportunity to put your stamp on some pretty amazing leading lady roles in Chicago. Um, uh, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but Clara in Passion, Fontaine in Les Mis, Fiona in Brigadoon, Polly, you mentioned in Crazy for You, and uh, Francesca in The Bridges of Madison County, for just to name a few. And you've received Chicago's Joseph Jefferson Award for Best Actress in a Musical twice. I mean, what is it about Chicago with you? Well, I I lived in Chicago for three years right out of college. Mm. And um, so Chicago is home to me. Um, it's weird. I, I live in New Jersey now, but I go back to Chicago almost every time they ask because it just feels like home. It is it is my favorite city. Um, I'm usually a good eight to ten pounds heavier in Chicago because the food is extraordinary. <laughs> that deep dish pizza. Yes. Yes. Uh, but also the theater community there is is second to none. It is absolutely a creative mecca and there have such great, great theaters, great writing houses where they encourage new works. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's been my honor to call that my second, the second city is my second home. I, I love it there. And I'm so grateful for every opportunity that they have afforded me. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm so glad. And, um, you know, they're lucky to have you. And I'm sure it's been really, really, it sounds like it's been really, really good for you, too. So that's a great uh, partnership you have with that wonderful city. Uh, so. I'm a Midwesterner at heart, not, not going to lie. <laughs> right? I'm a Midwesterner. <laughs> that's wonderful. I'm better than I grew up in Pennsylvania. It turns out I'm a Midwesterner. Yeah, well, I can see that. Yeah, you've got some of those qualities. But so, okay. So I haven't really had a chance to ask you this yet, um, but I wanted to hark back a bit on how. So we've talked about, you know, you, you, you've always loved to sing, but how did you get your start in musical theater? Was this something that you always wanted to do if we cast it our way back um, a little bit? Um, did you have a mentor or someone who helped you? Because you, you, um, you mentioned starting off in, you know, in college, you know, studying seriously, but were you all, did you come out singing or how? Uh, how did you all always- No, quite the opposite, as a matter of fact. I, I danced with a little ballet company in Western Pennsylvania, so I was I was mute. I was a dancer. Mm. I was a starving ballerina um, on point. And <laughs> I saw some musicals along the way, and I, I was, you know, I saw a lot. I definitely watched Sound of Music movie as soon as people got... Um, as soon as we got VHS players, I watched The Sound of Music movie and Wizard of Oz ad nauseum and Mary Poppins. So I was a Disney music theater lover, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then I, in my, I want to say sophomore or junior year of high school, my parents took us to a touring production of Les Mis and we went to Pittsburgh and saw Les Mis. And I just remember sitting there during Act Two sobbing next to my mom just wiping the tears off of my chin. And I said, Mom, I think I want to do that. And my incredible mom just said, "Eh, go for it. Like, she was completely unfazed that her kid said that she wants to go do music theater. And so I was late to the game. I wasn't one of those kids who grew up singing and dancing. I I only did ballets. Hmm. And um, so I only did two musicals. Like, I, I... a local theater, a local community theater called the ballet company and said, hey, can you lend us a couple dancers for our production of Pippin? 
So I was hired as a dancer for this community theater production. Mm. And I had so much fun doing Pippin. And then I saw Lee Miz. And then I did another dance thing. They asked the same community theater, said, hey, can we have some dancers for Camelot? So I was a dancer in Camelot. I didn't really sing. I danced, but I just enjoyed the whole process. So I went to college knowing nothing. And all of my all of my schoolmates like had done 20 shows between like okay. grade school okay. and community theater. Kathy, this is crazy. <laughs> okay, first of all, we need to talk a bit about tell tell people where you went to college because uh, for those of us that are I'm in Virginia still. I live in Roslyn, Virginia, just across the river from DC. Um what in Northern Virginia, but tell us where you went to school because it's a pretty well-known music theater school for Virginia and I think for the country. I went to the beautiful Shenandoah Conservatory in Winchester, Virginia, which is a part of Shenandoah University now. Mm-hmm. But it was um, Shenandoah College and Conservatory is where I originally went, and then it became a university halfway through my time there. Mm-hmm. But um, And I was getting a music theater degree, but I, when I got there, Mr. Herman, who was uh, the head of the theater department, full-on said to me, Kathy, you don't know anything your homework is to go to our theater library and watch every single video of every production you possibly have time for. <laughs> so any time I had a minute, I would go to the theater archives <laughs> and watch every VHS of every summer theater program they did because I, I didn't know any, literally didn't know anything. And like they'd be talking about the songs like they'd say yeah you should really learn many a new day and i'd say what's that from not knowing oklahoma because i had never seen a production of oklahoma (laughs) so you really came to this in college really open really sort of fresh really you didn't have a lot of preconceived notions because you would only see a few about all the things i didn't know Mm. if if i had known what i didn't know i would never have gone into the industry like i I would blissfully unaware i was blissfully fearless because i didn't even know what i was going up against i had not a clue and i often joke about that but would i have made those same choices knowing what i know now so i think that there was a sort of freedom in not knowing what i was supposed to be afraid of (laughs) and when when did you discover that you had this voice um since you had been sort of dancing in the ballet and you've been sort of doing a lot of dancing roles you did a few musicals in high school i don't know that i i don't know that i did discover that i had this voice like when i auditioned for shenandoah um we they sort of put us in these singing ensembles based on your abilities at this audition where you had to sight sing and mm. I don't even remember how it went actually. And me and my girlfriend, Carolyn, joked around that we got put in kind of the schlubby, the last ditch um, music singing ensemble that we could. Like we didn't get in any of the premier ones because mm. they, they didn't think very highly of us. So I don't know. I, I don't know that I did ever say hey I have this voice like that just was a more gradual thing like I knew that I could carry a tune I knew that I enjoyed singing Mm -hmm. but did I know that anybody would ever pay to hear it no I had no idea so (laughs) amazing and here we are my sophomore year I sort of figured it out a little Mm -hmm. bit but I was a big scaredy cat Wow. Probably in my junior year. That's when I wasn't afraid as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, so do you, do you feel like Shenandoah by the time you left had prepared you at least to go out into this crazy business and had, did you discover your voice? Oh, a bit yeah, more? yeah. I'm crazy grateful to Shenandoah because I knew nothing. 
I absolutely knew nothing. Wow. And uh, they sort of challenged me and expected more of me than I expected of me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm super grateful because I, I hadn't a clue. Well, and we're really proud that um, someone who, who went to college for theater in, in Virginia is now out there and, and showing it, showing the world uh, what we can do and what, what you can do. So that's wonderful. <laughs> and all the things that you've been able to do since and all the places you've been able to go and, and travel around the country and, and, and um, you know, share your talents and abilities. That's wonderful. So we're almost out of time, Kathy, which is crazy. This went so fast. It just like flew by. But um, I do want you um, to tell us if there's anything, you know, in a bit I'll say, you know, let us know uh, how, where we can follow you, website, social media. So we know um, if you're on there to know what the latest news is. But I thought I'd just ask you now, any latest news? Do you know, you know, we're, we're out of this pandemic. We haven't talked about the pandemic at all in this episode, which is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> for a change. Uh, it's really nice that I was able to just talk to you about um, the fun uh, and excitement of musical theater. But um, I'm assuming that now that things are opening up, you might have um, start dipping your toes back in. Uh, what Anything coming up for you that we should know about? Well, I got very lucky. Uh, right before the pandemic, I was slated to start work on The Music Man mm. on Broadway. Mm. And um, it, it was postponed twice, yes. but we're starting rehearsal soon, so I'm going to be in The Music Man starring Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster on the Broadway, so I'm super excited and grateful. That is a wonderful <laughs> thing to be able to um, come back to New York with um, after this um, you know, year and a half of craziness that we've all been dealing with. So. I, that's great news, and I can't wait to, to go see you in that, in The Music Man with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. I know of a lot of people that have um, had tickets for a while for that, and they've kept getting postponed and postponed, but they're excited, so the, the anticipation is, is really, really building. Oh, I'm excited, too. I have a lot of family and friends who, who said, oh, my gosh, they keep changing my tickets. I, I just wanted to go see it. <laughs> well, it's great that you'll be there and you'll be able to have that experience of reopening or opening a show in this new, um, you know, I have several uh, people and friends of mine that have been in these shows that are opening now, and they say it's really a special feeling to be there for that. So it's good that you're going to get to be a part of that. I'm really happy to hear that. It does feel like a nice little Broadway renaissance, and I I hope that we are better and stronger and wiser for it. I think we will be. Kathy, thank you so much for being on our podcast. If people want to find out the latest on you, is there a website, social media? Do you want people to follow you? Do a Google alert? (laughs) (laughs) I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. But yes, I do have kathyvoiko.com. You can follow my Instagram, but it's mostly dogs and kids and food and stuff. But every now and again, I post work stuff. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) People like to see all those things. But yes, I hear you. So kathyvoiko.com. And um, they can follow you on social media if they want. Kathy, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been such a joy as I knew it would be to talk to you. And I really appreciate your taking the time. I know you've got to get ready to go to, um, uh, what is it, River City? (laughs) (laughs) The pleasure is mine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Kathy. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the American Theater Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram 
at American Theatre Artists Online.